friends and podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and if you're listening to this, then you're in for another ride through the world of Catholicism, geekdom, movie fandom, technology, and science. All that and more coming up in this episode of the show. As always, thanks to my patrons for making it possible to bring you these episodes if you want to join that wonderful community. And people are keep adding themselves to the community, or no, that's the wrong way to put it, but new members of that community keep uh, signing up every every week. So if you want to become part of that community, go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We've uh, arrived at the most important week of the year, at least for Catholics. This is called Holy Week, and it starts, of course, with Palm Sunday, uh, where we commemorate how Jesus entered Jerusalem. Um, Everybody's cheering. This is also integrated in the liturgy because you've got the palm procession and everything. But then uh, quickly, of course, the situation (laughs) devolves and Jesus is captured and is crucified. And both Stories are told during that long liturgy of Palm Sunday where also the one of the versions of the Passion story is read in liturgy. And the rest of the week is following Jesus uh, in, in the various events that led up to, to his crucifixion and ultimately to the resurrection that we celebrate at Easter. Um, and so this, this whole week is uh, looking back and um, uh, retelling these stories of how much uh, Jesus suffered, keeping in mind that this is not just a, any human being, but this is um, the one who, uh, who was considered to be the Son of God and is considered to be the Son of God. So it's God himself who joins our suffering. Um, one of the effects of Holy Week is that it, it opens your heart for all the suffering in the world. The fact that God knows what it is to suffer it makes him not a distant God anymore. He partakes in our burden. He uh, he carries our cross, and he promises us that there is a way out. That there will be life after after death and destruction and suffering. And so, this is a, a very important week to continue to develop that compassion in you and in the church. Uh, there are so many people suffering. Of course, with the war in Ukraine, we see that every day. But there are also people in our own environment, in our circle of friends and family, that are suffering. They're going through a lot. Uh, we've, we've, we've seen during COVID how vulnerable we all are. And maybe you got sick, and, and, and well, I definitely felt the consequences and suffered consequences of, 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 of having had covid uh, and and so that all hopefully helps you to be to be empathetic when it comes to other people's suffering because you've been there as well, right? Um, and it nobody can escape suffering. It's not that if you are a celebrity, for instance, you, nothing will 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 harm you. Uh, maybe you will have access to a better care because, uh, especially in well, for instance, in the United States, if you have a lot of money, you get better health care. It's a bit different in parts of Europe where uh, we have um, healthcare for everyone, um, but even there, if you pay more, then your coverage is 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 bigger. Um, so, but at least if we get sick, 
we will be helped and it won't ruin us. Whereas in, I know this from personally from friends who had some unexpected um, hospitalizations and even the costs for the ambulance almost bankrupted them. And so people go in debt for years, if not for the rest of their lives, just because of, 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 um, uh, of, of misfortune and, and, and illness and, you know, sudden treatment. Uh, you may have seen the news, or I'm pretty sure you've seen the news, that Bruce Willis was diagnosed with aphasia and that put an end to his career, which was shocking for all of us because, you know, who didn't grow up with the uh, Die Hard movies and some of you with Moonstruck and uh, Bruce Willis was just the guy who, no matter what happened, he would always, always get up again and fight. Uh, and, and, and he would joke about it. But to see someone, a celebrity like that who has been in so many movies, is, who is, you know, like a hero for, for many people, uh, at least a movie hero, to see him get this debilitating uh, neurological uh, affliction of aphasia. So aphasia is, you, you still hear people talk, you would like to, to communicate yourself, uh, sometimes the patient still has all his uh, intellectual capacities, but it's the speech part of your brain that has been damaged. Uh, this can happen after a stroke, for instance, or sometimes also through uh, types of brain cancer, uh, where the, the your brain cannot make the connection between words and meaning anymore. Uh, I remember that my the first time that I... Uh, visited a, a patient that was suffering from aphasia uh, it was scary. I went to a hospital um, and I think his wife alerted me that her husband had, had been hospitalized and, and was diagnosed with aphasia. I had no idea what it was. So I enter this common room. There are about six beds and there's this guy in the bed closest to the window and he's sitting upright and he looks perfectly healthy. You know, nothing wrong sometimes when people have cancer or something like that. Uh, they're just, like, uh, emaciated. Uh, they lose their hair. They, you can tell that they're sick. This guy looked perfectly normal to me, as if he was just sitting there in his pajamas. And so I greeted him, and he looked at me, and, and he made a sound. But it was just like, like a grunt, like, oh. And I told him that I was there just because I, his wife told me that he was sick and um, I wanted to pay him a visit. And, and he looked at me and he was using his hands and then he tried to say something, but no words came out. And then afterwards he made some sounds and, and then he, there were some words in there, but it, it, it didn't make any sense. And the more he tried, the more he got frustrated and angry and, and, and he was like, he had his fists clenched and I could tell that his suffering was caused by the fact that he wanted to say something, but his speech, his language did not cooperate. His brain was unable to translate his thoughts into words. And then later on, I spoke to one of the doctors who explained to me that that is actually the worst. It's not that physically there's, there's much wrong, but the person is like a prisoner. You want to communicate, but you can't 
because the words that come out have nothing to do with what is going on in your mind. Um, and in some patients, gradually over time, even the comprehension of what other people say will also get jumbled up. And so they will see, they will recognize someone, because that's a, a different part of your brain. That person talks to you and you only hear sounds. But you cannot interpret those sounds anymore. Can you imagine how hard that would be? And how hard that is? So when I read that Bruce Willis had aphasia, and, and probably had been suffering from aphasia from a long time, since, since, since multiple years, I was like, oh my gosh, poor guy. That must be so horrible. And, and apparently now the stories are, are starting to uh, uh, appear that his fellow actors knew that something was seriously wrong and had been knowing this for years. Oh, you hear that? That's a parishioner. They're starting to demolish. I was hoping that they would start after lunch, but oh my gosh, no, this is going on. This is going to be the rest of the day. I need to go talk to them and see if they will take a break so I can continue this recording because this is definitely going to work. Not going to work. This may be my, my suffering in a holy week. It's just, it's nothing, of course. It's just a bit of noise. But for you, this is not going to be nice if this is going to go on for uh, for hours and hours while I'm recording this show. But anyway, let me f wrap this up, this this segment, and then I'll record the rest of the show a little bit later on. Um, also, celebrities, they can suffer. Um, and this week, this Holy Week, is all about opening your heart to the story of, of Jesus suffering, but also realizing that he is joining so many of us in suffering and offering it up and also telling us that this is not the last thing. There will be a time after the resurrection where all this suffering will be over. And I'm personally looking forward to maybe one day in heaven meeting Bruce Willis and hear his stories. <laughs> That's what I hope for. All right, let me go talk to these parishioners and I'll be back. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine, I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm gonna give it to you. And I'm back again. I spoke to the parishioners. They were indeed demolishing a part adjacent to, to the rectory. So what you heard, these... these <laughs> the, the drilling that's what i've been hearing for uh, for quite a while now um, but they told me that they're going to do something that doesn't make noise and then i will have until 1 30 after lunch then they're gonna start making noise again until five o'clock so i have to kind of schedule around this this is kind of what i knew when uh, when when i got the contract for this house they told me that they would be uh, that there would be a lot of noise related to the building of this this new extension of the parish building but i just didn't know it was going to be all the time <laughs> so, but uh but i'm glad that, that at least i've got a, a little bit of time here to uh, to do my work um but i know that you know after lunch i probably have to go for a walk or something like that because there's no way that i can record anything unfortunately most of my work involves audio it's either a podcast or recording a youtube video or whatever um and the, the only the only show that i can record elsewhere is the walk but 
it's raining outside, it's cold. It's not the best weather to, <laughs> to do a walk. I'm already very glad that they don't work in the evenings because in the evenings I like to play video games or watch a movie or watch some TV. And imagine if you would hear this drilling while you're watching a movie <laughs> with a video game. I can put on headphones and I can kind of block it out. But uh, and, and I have these headphones that are noise-canceling, but that works best when the noise is, is constant. Like, for instance, you, they are perfect on an airplane where you have that low hum, you know, and that will completely block it out, and they're pretty amazing. But these noises, drilling noises, hammers, sledgehammers, that is, there is no algorithm that can deal with that. It's, it's, it, so it breaks into the... To the, to the headphones. So, I, for instance, I won't hear the traffic outside when I wear those headphones, but the drilling, that cuts straight through it. Oh, well, there, there are worse things in the world. Um, I wanted to talk about a television show on Apple Plus TV. Not all of you have it, but in case you ever get access to Apple Plus TV, there's this one show that I really think you should watch, and it is every episode gets better. This is one of my favorite television shows right now. Um, and it's got all this intrigue. I, I compared, I likened it to Lost, and that I think that, that that put that some people misunderstood me. They like, well, I didn't like Lost, and it didn't, didn't go anywhere, and it was just a stupid ending. So I probably don't like this. But that's not what I meant. What Lost was really masterful at was creating this tension and this intrigue, and you're like, but what is going on? And then every time the story continued, you would discover a little bit more. And that, so there, you got these little rewards, but every time you got a bit of reward and an explanation, there would be another mystery added. And so I think that was fantastic storytelling. This series called Severance does exactly that. But I think that they know better what they're doing. I think they know exactly what's going on. And that was a problem with Lost, the writers told us that they didn't have a clue. They had no idea what was going on in the island. They made it up as they went, which, of course, yeah, ultimately led to a finale that wasn't liked universally. I personally thought it was fine, but um, a lot of people were disappointed. Um, but but with this, I, I do think that they know what they're doing. So the, the series is called Severance, and I think I've talked about it before. It tells the story of this guy... We meet, um, it was one of the actors who plays also in Parks and Recreation, totally different character in this episode, in this series. And he is working for a company that, uh, if, if you sign up, uh, you, you will get a chip in your brain that will separate your consciousness from that you have during your work from the consciousness you have when you're uh, what they call an Audi, so your regular life. And so <laughs> talking about work-leisure separation or private life, work life, there is a literal 100% fissure between these two parts of your life. So you, the, the chip is switched on when you enter an elevator and you, when you go to work. The building itself is stark white, has got these long corridors, it's like a maze and bit by bit we start to discover all these different things that are going on and nobody knows actually, even the employees don't know what they're working on. They're sitting behind these old-fashioned 
they look like Radio Shack computers from the uh, last century. Um, you know, black screens with green lettering. And they have to do some kind of, like, gathering numbers on the screen. It's very enigmatic. And there are totally different things also going on in the building, but none of it makes sense. And there is also a part of the people that that are in charge of that company don't seem to have that separation. So they've not been severed. And they are also present in the lives of the Audis without the Audis knowing that these people actually work for the same company and and, and know, know the reality. So anyway, uh, it is fascinating. You start to discover... Um, and it's just a few actors at first. And, and bit by bit, you start to discover why they chose to be severed like that. Because who would want that, right? Well, the main actor has a, or the main character has a very specific reason why he doesn't want to, to live in his, in his uh, only one life. He wants to have a part of his life where that is not aware of what happened in his, in his uh, personal history. So for him... It's almost like total escapism. But then he's still the same guy on the inside. And he starts to feel uncomfortable with what's going on there and by the way that his fellow employees are treated. And so bit by bit, there's a bit of a rebellion growing. And I won't spoil anything else, but the last few episodes, oh my gosh, I was on the edge of my seat. And... Um, what I also really love about the series is the cinematography. It's all uh, filmed, especially inside the facility. It is very stylized. So you're looking at something that could be straight from the 70s. Um, so everything looks a bit old-fashioned. But it is also beautifully composed. Like every shot is is almost like a painting. Um, and... There's nothing like it. I've never seen anything like this. And the story is so fascinating. The characters are so engaging. And you don't know, you really don't know who you can trust, what's truly going on. And every time, but, but, and yet you still feel very connected to the, the pledge of, of these workers that somehow, you know, discover that shutting off part of your brain doesn't doesn't make you happy escaping the suffering is in not resulting in someone who doesn't suffer anymore uh, because it's how you deal with with suffering in your life that that truly matters and just splitting yourself up into identities doesn't help you so anyway fascinating fascinating story um I would highly recommend it. It's a really amazing series. I don't know if it's actually a, a plan for multiple seasons or if it's just this one season, but I think there's ample material to spin this out over a couple of seasons. I hope they won't go the lost route where towards the end, you know, it's like, what are we going to do? It's um, it, it, Everybody kind of lost interest because it, it just went on for too long. But this could totally be like a two or three season run, I would say. There's there's enough there in the story, and it's engaging enough. And the pace of, is, is perfect. It's not too fast, it's not too slow. Uh, but every time an episode finishes, I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta wait a week to see what happens next. That, for me, is 
what I love most about, about serialized television. It's this anticipation. Like for a week, I can think of what I saw and I can speculate and then you get the reward on Friday. Usually these episodes are posted on Friday. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then, oh no, I can't believe what happens next. <laughs> I have to wait another week. It's, it's really, really good TV. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today, of course, we need to talk a little bit more about Holy Week. It's not the first time that I talk about it, but there's always something new to uh, to share. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. One of the things that I like so much about Holy Week and about Catholic liturgy in general during these strong times, I think that's, that's a term, right? Like these special times, is that it is very much based on storytelling. Uh, and in this case, of course, it tells kind of the the conclusion of the story of Jesus. Um, so it's like the final ep- the, the episode finale in a certain way. There will be a sequel. But this is definitely the episode that everybody has been waiting for. We've seen the tension grow over time and the liturgy during the days of Lent actually really builds it up. And so you get more and more confrontation. So you start with Jesus just preaching and people being healed and happy and then more and more every Sunday you hear stories about the tension rising and there are most of the time it's these confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees who hate Jesus because he's well he's seeing straight through them he knows that they are so-called religious people and leaders but in fact they bend the rules so that they profit from the situation from their power and and other people suffer because of them and they judge others and jesus criticizes that and and (laughs) outs them and so more and more over the weeks of lent you see that this is not going to end well for jesus because these guys are powerful they have connections they they're smart so they try to lure jesus into saying stuff that he may regret afterwards and none of it sticks uh, because jesus of course knows what they're doing but then eventually and this is the weird twist in the story jesus decides to well not run away from his persecutors instead he runs towards them which is the stupidest thing to do right the craziest most illogical thing to do spock would say and yet this is how the gospel, every gospel, tells us the same story. Jesus is literally going to his death. He's going to Jerusalem. He warns his disciples, you know, this is not going to end well. I will have to suffer. They will kill me. He predicted, they will kill me. But after three days, I will rise again. And these disciples are like, it doesn't make sense, so they don't want to believe it. It's a very interesting mechanism. Um I think that we all can relate to. It's like if something is is too strange, we kind of tell our own story to, so that it makes sense. So maybe that this is one of the reasons that Judas is uh, is acting the way he does. Maybe he, he he must have heard these warnings of Jesus. You know, I'm going to Jerusalem, but it's it's not going to be pretty. 
And so maybe he made this his own story that, well, but, but what if Jesus is going there to take over power, you know, to maybe he's got this thing up his sleeve and uh, he will suddenly reveal himself that, like this big political leader who will take over and chase the Romans. And then and ultimately when it actually happens, literally, like what Jesus told them was not a metaphor, but it was literally a prediction of what would happen. Maybe that's when, when his own story that he told himself crumbles and, and f- starts to fall apart. That's where he panics. That's where he, he, uh, he chooses to, uh, to betray Jesus. Uh, he was disappointed, uh, maybe completely lost trust. Who knows? But it, it, the whole way in which his story evolves is, is deliberately uh, making us <laughs> freak out. It's like, why would, every, why would someone do this? And it's this why that makes us involved in the story. What ha- what's going to happen next? How is he going to get out of this? And, and most importantly, what is his motivation? And this is, of course, one of the most controversial aspects of Christianity. It is the story of an anti-hero in, in many ways. It's, it's, it's this Jesus who was so successful, who was believed to be the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, but instead of victory, he deliberately chooses to fail and to be killed. What? Why? Why would you do that? And it's this why that I think joins the why that many of us have when we are confronted with any type of suffering. If it's bad enough, like we see the war in Ukraine, we see the atrocities, the war crimes that are committed, the innocents that are slaughtered, some of the images that we see are, are very similar to what we saw in, in, in during World War II and what the Nazis did. And he's like, how can God allow this to happen? Why do people do this? How can soldiers commit these crimes? Why? And I think that is important to let that question sink in, to not try to answer it too quickly. It's one of the temptations, I think, of theology is to come up with an easy explanation. Well, you know what? It it was because of justice had to be done, a price had to be paid, and so all clicks together, and this is why. But that almost always results in in partial theology and and sometimes in in heresy. Because the first thing you, I think this week, this Holy Week, invites you to do is to admit this question, that, that evil and suffering is a mystery why something happens what is going to be the outcome of this how is it ever going to turn into something good this is a question that has been with humanity since its inception since the beginning and what is the opposite what is the alternative to asking this question to struggle with evil it's complacency it's acceptance it's like oh you know who cares it's just the world is messed up. You know, this is just tragedy. But we also feel that that is not the answer either because we are clearly always seeking for a reason why. Our brains are even wired like that. Our prefrontal frontal cortex is, pro, is constructed in such a way that we always tell stories that help us understand also bad things that happen. 
and 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 sometimes these stories are not correct and and that's how you end up sometimes with these inner voices that tell you that you're bad and you're you're a failure etc you have to work hard to to replace those stories with another story but i think in holy week what we learn through this tragic story of jesus is that first of all suffering is real and it happens to the best of us if a hero a movie hero like bruce willis can suffer from aphasia you know what's the difference with a famous rabbi who is such so clearly a man of god who is then you know taken prisoner falsely condemned and and is conde- is is uh, uh is being executed and has to undergo the the worst kind of punishment that was only reserved for 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 murderers for for the worst criminals someone who was innocent um and it's it you know take it seriously this happens to the best of us but this is where the holy week also has this reveal at the end of the story where the thing that happens like remember the bruce willis movie the sixth sense where you watch this entire story and and at the end there is this twist that changes your entire perception of the enti- everything you saw before and thought you understood and this final revelation puts everything in a different light and then you have to rewatch the movie and then you're like oh that's what's going on well in a way holy week exactly does that story wise it ends it seems to end with failure like there is this moment where on Holy Thursday we com- we think back of the Last Supper and all his friends are there and Jesus does all this symbolic ritual thing with the bread and the wine and and then a few hours later he's taken prisoner and then it just goes downhill from there and 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 then his disciples follow him and his mother is there and sees how her own son is killed and everybody is distraught. And they're so, so destroyed by it that they even run away. Like Peter, his best friend, denies Jesus three times. That's how distraught they are. And then when everything seems lost, when everybody walks away, and even Jesus himself doesn't get an answer from his father. Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? In this total darkness, whether seems to be no answer no response there there doesn't seem to be a sense to all of this even jesus experiences this this total senselessness this lack of answer this 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 total 100 darkness it's only going through that that three days later there is an answer there is this twist in the story it's not over and jesus rises and he lives again and it turns out that that was the plan altogether and even though jesus talked about it it's different to talk about it in theory and then undergo it and that is exactly our predicament as well we may have heard these stories that life is stronger than death and after after rain and darkness there will be sunshine Uh, after winter there will be a springtime but if you are in the middle of darkness if you are in the cold of the winter it's so hard to believe that that is actually going to happen because you don't feel it you don't see it there is no there seems to be no no end to this winter or to this darkness 
And yet, it does happen. And that should give us faith and hope for our own situation, our own world. If this happened to Jesus, if God allowed his own son to go through all this, through this extreme darkness and did not answer, and yet was there on the third day, that gives us reason to believe that he will also be there for us at the end of all this suffering. And do we know that for sure? No. Do we always feel that? No. Do we experience it? Can we wrap our minds around it? No, no, no. It's all darkness is sometimes just that. It is darkness without a reason, without an explanation. And you have to be very careful with easy solutions or easy answers. Um, but what is important is in those times of darkness, it's not, it's not understanding. It's not intellectual insight. It's faith. It's this relationship that you trust, even if there doesn't seem to be any ground for trust. But it's based on what I've experienced before in times of darkness. It's based on what I hear in these gospel stories, what I experience in the liturgy during Holy Week. That gives me a little bit of a foundation so that I can keep hope alive. It's a bit like in The Last Jedi, where at the end of the movie... The, the resistance is, is, is completely uh, demolished. There are only a couple of people left. How can they ever win from this evil that, again, seems to take over the universe? Well, how, no matter how small it is, it is the beginning of something that will grow and will ultimately lead to victory. And that is exactly what this Holy Week helps us to experience liturgically, story-wise. It's, and the more we hear this story, that's why we do this every year, the more hopefully this story will become part of our consciousness and our subconsciousness so that if we are in times that are separate, in situations that are comparable to what Jesus goes through, we too will surrender ourselves in, you know, hand ourselves over to the Father, to the will of the Father, um, without proof, without certainty, but with faith and trust in our hearts that is what remains on the cross it's jesus despite him not understanding not seeing not getting an answer father into your hands i commend my spirit it is his last act of faith giving himself to a father who doesn't seem to be there and that is ultimately what this whole holy week is about and god does answer and god is there and in hindsight, <laughs> the suffering makes sense and is, has been predicted, etc. But try holding on to that hope in the, in the midst of all this distress. Try believing that there is hope for the people of Ukraine, for the people in Africa that are suffering, in, in, you know, in your own environment, maybe in, in your own life if you're going through horrible stuff. Try to hold on to that hope. To, try to remember that story in times that you need to know that this story has a good ending. There is a twist that you won't see coming, but you will recognize it the moment it's there. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night, the packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? This may be 
<laughs> what I just talked about. Maybe also why sometimes I don't really like reading books by writers like Stephen King. He's a fantastic writer, let's be honest. But sometimes these stories are so uh, dark and they don't have a happy ending. They don't have hope in it. And it all ends badly. This is what happened in the, when I read the story uh, In the Tall Grass. It's a story that he co-wrote with his son, who is doesn't use King as his last name, maybe because he just wants to establish himself as you know a writer in his own right. Uh, but he uh, goes under the name of Joe Hill. But Stephen King and his son uh, wrote this book together. It's a short book, In the Tall Grass. It's now also a movie that I think is on... Netflix. I'm not sure. It may also be on Amazon Prime. But anyway, it's now a movie. Uh, it's, I started watching part of it, and um, uh, I already know the story. So it's eerie. It's creepy. So it's basically this, this couple. Uh, no, it's not a couple. It's a, 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 a brother and sister. And they are traveling through the Midwest or somewhere in the United States. And it's uh, really on the rural, in the rural area. And so they uh, stop near a small church um, that's closed and looking a bit gloomy, uh, near a field with tall grass, hence the title. And then when they're about to hit the road again, they hear this boy in the distance. And the boy is like, oh, help me, I'm lost, I'm lost. And then they hear a second voice, sounds like a mother. And it's like, shut up, don't call them, don't do, don't do it. And then, of course, you start to realize, oh, I've got a bad feeling about this. This is Stephen King. And so they decide to walk into this tall grass. And it's so tall that you can't see above it trying to find this kid. And the more they get into the tall grass, the more they get lost. And then stuff starts to get worse. You think, what can be worse than not finding your way and not knowing where you came from? But... This is Stephen King. It gets more gruesome and gruesome and gruesome. And it, oh, man, the ending is just oh so dark, so dark. But, um, well, it's still, in, in a certain way, I read this not because I like these type of stories, but I just admire how Stephen King and, and, and Joe Hill can take a very simple concept it's just like the movie must have been rather cheap to make because it's just you know, find yourself a field with tall grass and then... <laughs> Although I haven't seen the end of the movie. I'm just too scared to, to see visualized what I've read in the, in the book. But, um, but to see how they can still every chapter, it gets worse. That's an amazing craft and, and, and also a bit twisted that they come up, can come up with stories like that. But you do still, there is always also a bit of hope. That's why you keep reading. Oh, maybe they'll get out of it. And you actually know, this is Stephen King. This will not end well. There are no happy ends in most of his stories. And oh my gosh, I was right about In the Tall Grass. So only read it if you can stomach this, these type of stories. Scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. So um, now that the pandemic, at least for the time being, is is more or less behind us, uh, scientists are still continuing to uh, research the data that we have. And of course, since this was such a global phenomenon, we have so much data. It will take years 
probably to process everything that we that we've seen happening to people that were uh, infected or also people that didn't get infected with covid and one of the things that we already knew but is now coming more and more to light is that covid actually alters your brain they've done brain scans of people that had covid even light forms of it and they've seen significant changes in the functioning of the brain this is not a theory this is this is proven now they've taken scans of people that uh, had like brain scans of people before they got covid and after they got covid and you see literal changes in some areas of the brain this is not, of course, the only affliction that does that. Even simple simple things. Events that are natural, like uh, someone who gets pregnant, will also, there, there will be immediate changes in the brain. And that, of course, has a function. Uh, it can, it can, the hormonal balance is changed, and all that is, of course, to uh, benefit the bond between the mother and the child. Uh, and and to make sure that it subsists after the birth of the child, this is all part of our human condition and the w- the way we grow up and need parents, etc. But with COVID, of course, this is a virus, so the changes there are, you know, maybe not positive. Um, and what the, the the one thing that they've definitely been able to demonstrate is that there is a disconnect happening in the taste center of the brain. So, uh, of course, many of us that had COVID had uh, temporarily or more permanent loss of smell and taste. I remember that I had this uh, little basket with, with, uh, with garlic in one of my cupboards. And when I had COVID, when I was suffering, and for, for about two weeks, every day I would go to the kitchen, take that little basket and smell, and I didn't smell anything. It was just neutral, completely neutral. And I remember the morning that I went into the kitchen and I sniffed and I smelled garlic again. That's when I knew I got my smell, my sense of smell back. And then very quickly, everything was restored. And I don't think I have any lasting uh, consequences. But that, of course, nothing changed. The garlic didn't change. It was just my brain that was at least temporarily confused about interpreting these smell signals because, of course, all the receptors in my nose and in my, on my tongue were still there. It's just the information wasn't processed anymore, which, of course, is a result of the brain damage or the changes in the brain. Thankfully for me, that was temporary. And, of course, you know that the brain also is able to repair itself. You see this with people that had a stroke. Sometimes they have to relearn a language. Uh, and, and that is weird. There are people that had a stroke, and all of a sudden they can only speak French, even though their native language was Dutch, but that part had been in, incapacitated, and so they had to relearn to speak Dutch. Yeah, but brains are able, the older you get, of course, the harder it takes, and more time it takes, but uh, over time, other parts of the brain can take over functionality that has been temporarily or more permanently damaged. And apparently this is also happening with smell. And, uh, but for some people, this loss of smell and taste or also changes in smell and taste. So I know people that when they drink coffee, it's, it's, it tastes like petrol. (laughs) If people that are like immediately cured from eating certain types of food because it doesn't have any taste anymore, um, and in some cases, this the brain will repair itself, and in other cases, it 
it doesn't come back or it's only back to a certain degree. How exactly that works and what the therapy could be in the future to help patients like this um, is still to be researched. But I think that we will be talking about COVID-19 for years to come, not because the pandemic may last this long, although we never know, but because the data is still takes so much time to process. But um, it's going to also have a positive side, and that is that we will it will help us understand the functioning of the brain. In this sense, uh, in this case, uh, the, the whole you know taste and smell stuff that seems to be not so important. You know, losing the ability to speak seems to be more important than the, losing the ability to smell. But imagine if you can't taste anymore. You can't taste your food anymore. Coffee has no taste anymore. Imagine how much that will rob you from the joy of, you know, a good meal and food. So let's not think too lightly about this. Uh, and I hope that scientists will definitely come up with some solutions for the people that still suffer from this. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So in the month of May, I'm going to go on two trips, uh, one to Rome, and then afterwards I'm going to travel to the United States, among other things, for the Star Wars celebration that will take place in Anaheim and also to maybe for some, some talks. Um, I would like to be able to do some basic work when I'm not at home. Here, of course, I've got all my equipment. But when I'm on the road, I really uh, need a... Uh, a computer or laptop and the laptop that I have you know it's 11 years old so it's not uh, in fact it has been um, shelved by Apple the just the other week I read a, an article and it said that Apple is no longer repairing computers uh, among which this 11 inch MacBook Air that I have it works fine but there are no maybe there's are still updates I think I still have the most recent well I'm not sure about that, if I got the latest update. But it works fine. I can run most software. It's just a bit slow. And when it breaks, it's over. There's no way that Apple can repair this anymore. Um, so it is time for me to get a new laptop. Um, but I'm still on the fence of what to do, whether to go for um, a MacBook Pro, which, of course, has uh, the uh, new um, M1 Pro processor, uh, or if I should just go with the much cheaper regular uh, MacBook, which doesn't have, um, for instance, it lacks an SD card reader. It doesn't have a HDMI out. And I, I think on the newer MacBooks, you have a little bit more uh, options when it comes to the uh, the connections. But of course, these these MacBook Pros are twice the price of a of a sm of a regular MacBook. So I don't know exactly if the added functionality will be worth it. Um, and then there's always this question of, yeah, but what if Apple is going to bring us new MacBooks uh, a month from now? <laughs> and then I'll be stuck with this old, older model. That's always the conundrum that you have with newer phones as well. But, yeah, but, but, but the next model is going to have this and that. And actually, that's what I want. The moment there, there is a new device, you already get the, the rumors of the next version. And so... 
at one point you just have to tell yourself, eh, let's just go with this current one. I need it, it's a tool. It's a tool. You don't have to have as long as it does what you need to do now, then that's that's good enough. So that's how I'm going to approach this. The other thing is I may also want to um, get an even more powerful computer for the for the editing work that I do. So those MacBook Studios look very interesting because of their their speed. And, well, I talked about the last week about this uh, video enhancement uh, that takes a lot of computer power. Of course, these MacBook Studios would be perfect for that. Um, but then again, is it really worth investing in? Uh, a regular... M1 can probably do most of the task. Yes, the rendering process itself will take a little bit longer, but that is only a fraction of the time that I spend on making these documentaries. So the rendering itself, yeah, maybe a bit slower, but it's, that's only a problem if I am working with a deadline. And there were times where I was making TV episodes where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how slow this computer is in rendering. And it took four hours to render an episode. And then if I made one little mistake, I had to go through this rendering process another time and it would take another four hours. So yeah, that is uh, an issue. Um, especially if everything goes 4K, which is kind of the norm right now for documentaries, then none of the computers that I have can handle 4K. Um so, am I just going for a MacBook? Am I going to go for a studio first? The thing is, I will be on the road quite a bit. And you, I've tried it, but even though Apple tells you that a, 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 an iPad can replace a computer, it can't. It really can't. It can do a lot of stuff, but you can't do any serious uh, work on that, even for you know uh, Adobe, the, the suite that I use. Addition is not available for the Mac, and even just transporting data back and forth between a computer and a lap and a, and an iPad, it doesn't really work that well. So it's not there yet. Maybe over time it will be, but for now, I think a laptop is still the way to go. It's just that yeah, these things are expensive. So eh. let me know if you have any advice on that. Uh, love to hear from you. And with that, we need to wrap things up before the drilling begins again. <laughs> but thanks for joining me. I hope you have a, a, a good Holy Week. Uh, but also, you will enjoy a nice celebration of Easter. After which, of course, I'll be back with, uh, with more shows. And if you uh, want to join the Patreon community, just a reminder, go to patreon.com slash Father Roderick. I'll make it worth your while. Take care and God bless. And happy Easter. Happy Easter.